Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, a verdict in federal court today. The man charged with attacking Nancy Pelosi's husband has been found guilty. David DePap could face decades in prison. More on the charges and potential sentencing for accosting the former House Speaker's husband. Eileen Eng has the story. There's overwhelming evidence that Republican Congressman George Santos broke the law. That's according to a report released today by the Ethics Committee. Melina Weisskopf has more on the report and how the embattled congressman is dealing with it. President Biden again highlighting differences between the U.S. and Chinese communist regime. One day after calling the CCP leader a dictator. What he's saying as he seeks to boost ties with Indo-Pacific countries. A congressman says Xi Jinping's CCP commits genocide against millions of innocent people. Now the lawmaker is demanding the names of U.S. executives who applauded the communist dictator. Arian Pazdar has the story. The body of an Israeli hostage is found in Gaza. Israeli forces making gains in the northern part of the Gaza Strip, with signals indicating they plan to move south. An arrest made in the death of a Jewish man. The man, a pro-Israel demonstrator, died after a rally in California. How it allegedly happened and who is now on bail? Christina Corona reports. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. A verdict in federal court today, the man charged with attacking Nancy Pelosi's husband in their San Francisco home last October has been found guilty. NTD's Eileen Eng has more. A federal court jury found 43-year-old David DePap guilty of his two charges, attempted kidnapping of a federal official and assaulting an immediate family member of a U.S. official. The jury resumed deliberations on Thursday. DePap was accused and charged with breaking into former U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home and attacking her husband. What this guilty verdict on all counts sends is a clear message that regardless of what your beliefs are, what you cannot do is physically attack a member of Congress or their immediate family for their performance in their job. Police body camera footage showed DePap striking Paul Pelosi over the head with a hammer last October, while Nancy Pelosi was still speaker and away in Washington, D.C. During a rebuttal, prosecutor Helen Gilbert said the defense had made a false distinction between Nancy Pelosi's politics and official duties and that DePap didn't differentiate between the two. DePap pleaded not guilty, but during testimony on Tuesday, he admitted to attacking Paul Pelosi with a hammer while trying to carry out a plan to hold Nancy Pelosi hostage. DePap also faced further charges, including attempted murder in California state court that carries a potential sentence of 13 years to life in prison. Together, he faces a maximum of 50 years in prison. The court decided he will remain in jail until his next hearing for a status check on December 13th. A scathing report coming out of the House Ethics Committee. It claims to have overwhelming evidence that New York Republican Congressman George Santos broke the law, concluding that he cannot be trusted. This as Santos is facing a 23-count federal indictment. 
NTD's Melina Weiskup has more on what the report found and the next steps for the congressman. After a month-long investigation, the Bipartisan Ethics Committee finds that Republican Congressman George Santos knowingly violated a number of ethics and criminal statutes. Many of those crimes that are referred to in this report are actually the same crimes that he's facing a total of 23 federal charges for right now. The report reads Representative Santos sought to fraudulently exploit every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal profit, accusing him of using campaign funds and his personal affairs and lying about his background to win over donors and constituents. The evidence consists of more than 170,000 pages of documents and testimonies from dozens of witnesses. The committee is now referring this evidence to the Department of Justice and Santos has responded to this report, calling it a politicized smear. He also says he's committed to finishing out this term, but he will not run for re-election next term. Meanwhile, some of his House colleagues even Republicans are eager to boot him out. Many Republicans are calling on him to resign, and there is an effort underway right now to hold another expulsion vote to get him out of Congress. They did try to do this in the past in the House of Representatives. However, there were some Republicans who protected him from being expelled on the grounds that this report had not yet been released. Now that it has been released, we'll see if this next vote of expulsion turns out any differently. That vote could happen as soon as the House returns from their Thanksgiving break. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Turning now to former President Trump's civil trial, a New York appeals judge today temporarily lifting the gag order that barred Trump and his lawyers from speaking publicly about the case. This decision follows the former president's legal team filing an emergency lawsuit saying that the order is an abuse of power. As of now, Trump is allowed to speak freely about court staff and the case itself. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis celebrates a victory today. She requested certain evidence is protected after witness videos leaked Monday, but she didn't stop there. Willis also asked the judge to put one of the co-defendants in jail. Here's NTD's legal correspondent, Arlene Richards. All right, good afternoon, everybody. A Georgia judge is protecting evidence. Fulton County Judge Scott McAfee granted DA Fannie Willis's emergency request for a protective order. Her request came days after video testimonies of defendants who took plea deals were leaked to several media outlets. But her request didn't end with just the videos. She also wanted protection for... Just essentially anything and everything that's turned over that wasn't already public or wasn't already part of the defense file uh, was going to be held under seal. Attorneys for the defendants are permitted access to the prosecutor's evidence so they can prepare their defense. At a hearing on Wednesday, the parties came up with an order they could all agree on. On Thursday, Judge Scott McAfee signed an order that limits the protection to sensitive materials. In a separate filing, Willis also asked the judge to send one of the co-defendants to jail because she says he's intimidating co-defendants and witnesses, and that this is a violation of a bond order that keeps him out of jail. Harrison Floyd, the former head of Black Voices for Trump, is one of three co-defendants who allegedly pressured election worker Ruby Freeman to admit to election fraud. Trump allies accused Freeman and her daughter Shea Moss of scanning multiple fake ballots. In the 23-page motion, Willis gave examples of how Floyd violates the order saying he's posting intimidating messages on social media. 
many directed at Freeman. For example, on November 14th, he posted an audio recording of Freeman and stated, does this sound like Ruby Freeman is being pressured? In another post, he said, Ruby Freeman's job was the reconciliation of ballots. She wasn't even supposed to be on a scanner. Willis says because of Floyd's intimidating posts, Freeman is receiving threats and Floyd is obstructing justice. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And in the classified documents case, Judge Eileen Cannon has denied special counsel Jack Smith's request for a defense deadline. Smith had asked the judge to set a date for the Trump team to reveal which classified documents they would use at trial. Cannon said nothing had changed since her November order and that the issue would be discussed at a scheduling conference in March 2024. President Biden seeks to assure Asian Pacific allies that the U.S. is a more reliable trade partner than the Chinese communist regime. NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao brings us more from the APEC summit in San Francisco. As President Biden is seeking to deepen ties with Indo-Pacific economies right here at the APEC summit, he's again highlighting the fundamental differences that exist between the United States and the Chinese regime. Here is him addressing a CEO summit today on Thursday. Watch. We have real differences in Beijing when it comes to maintaining fair and level economic playing field and protecting your intellectual property. We'll be firm standing up for our values and our interests. And President Biden asked that businesses as well as countries can count on the U.S. as a reliable and secure partner. And that echoes with Biden's calls for countries to rally behind the U.S.'s Indo-Pacific economic framework, which is often seen as a more reliable alternative to China's Belt and Road Initiative. And all this comes after President Biden said he'd raised human rights issues with the head of the CCP and also called him a dictator. Watch. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that, based on a former government, totally different than ours. And here in San Francisco, where the APEC summit is taking place, groups that are persecuted in China by the Chinese communist regime, including practitioners of the meditation practice Falun Gong, told us that they have this message for the Biden administration. You know, taking innocent people, putting them in, in labor camps and torturing them for their beliefs. We can't stand for this. And the Biden administration should take action and, and, and speak strongly about this. The group's peaceful demonstrations are expected to last until the end of this summit. Back to you. American business leaders applauding a propaganda speech by communist dictator Xi Jinping. A congressman is now demanding answers, saying he commits genocide against innocent people. NTD's Arian Pasdar has more. Hundreds of American business leaders gave Chinese communist leader Xi Jinping a standing ovation after a speech on Wednesday night. That's even though he offered no hints of concessions to business. This speech was propaganda at its finest. That's according to a business executive who spoke with the Wall Street Journal on condition of anonymity. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher told the journal that it's unethical for Americans to celebrate a regime committing genocide against millions of innocent men, women and children in Xinjiang. Among the attendees of the dinner were executives from Apple, BlackRock, Pfizer, FedEx, Boeing and many others. Some of them paid over $40,000 just to sit at the same table as the communist dictator, something Gallagher today criticized heavily. He now wants the organizers of the dinner to release the names of all attendees. Ariane Pastar, NTD News. 
Turning now to updates from the Israel-Hamas war, Israeli troops are preparing for the next phase of their ground operations in Gaza, while they found the body of another hostage. The Israeli military has captured an Hamas-operated harbor in Gaza and bombed an Hamas meeting place. We are close to destroying the military system that existed in the North Gaza Strip. We will complete it. We still have some finishing to do, but we are getting close to it. As Israeli forces make gains in the northern part of Gaza, the Israeli defense minister visited troops in southern Israel on Thursday. In the last day, we completed the takeover and clearing of the entire western part of Gaza City. The next phase has begun. We have started the next phase. There are signals that Israel's ground operation is about to expand in the south. Palestinians in parts of southern Gaza said they received evacuation notices on Thursday. During their operations, troops recovered the body of an Israeli hostage, Yehudit Weiss, near Al-Shifa Hospital. The body of Yehudit, may her soul rest in peace, was recovered by our forces. The 7th Brigade, which was scanning the area nearby the Al-Shifa Hospital, recovered her body in one of the homes during the scanning. Near her body, we found bodies of terrorists who were holding Yehudit. Al-Shifa Hospital has been a central focus of the war, and the Israeli military says they found a tunnel shaft and a vehicle prepared for the October 7th attack in the hospital. I want to emphasize a car of Hamas terrorists with many weapons within the grounds of Shifa Hospital. It was supposed to leave from there to the massacre of October 7th. To highlight how Hamas terrorists use civilian structures as human shields, Israel also posted a video showing rockets hidden inside a little girl's bed. As Israel prepares for the next phase of the campaign, Gaza is now cut off from the outside world. The territory's telecoms provider said all communication services are down across the Gaza Strip due to lack of fuel. A pro-Palestine protester has been arrested. He's charged in the death of a Jewish man who died after an altercation in California. Entity's Christina Corona has more on the story. The Ventura County Sheriff's Office arrested 50-year-old Loe Alnalgi Thursday in connection with the death of Paul Kessler following an altercation at dueling protests in Thousand Oaks. Alnalgi, a computer science professor at Ventura County Community College, has been charged with involuntary manslaughter and he is held on a $1 million bail. According to authorities, Kessler, 69, died as a result of injuries he sustained from a pro-Palestinian demonstration demonstrator wielding a megaphone at the November 5th rally. Video footage shows Kessler lying on the ground suffering from a head wound. He was transported to a hospital where he died the next day. The arrest follows initial uncertainty about whether the incident constituted a hate crime. Officials said that though an arrest was made, anyone with information or who attended the event should still come forward and share video footage with the Ventura County Sheriff's Office. Christina Corona, NTD News, Los Angeles. Coming up, imagine your daughter's desperate voice on the phone telling you she's been kidnapped. But that may not actually be your daughter. AI phone scams are surging. The Senate holds a hearing. 
And one of the largest retailers in the world is cautioning that consumer spending could be weaker this holiday season. NTD's Don Ma tells us more after the break. Welcome back. Imagine hearing your daughter's desperate voice on the phone saying she's been kidnapped and needs you to pay a $50,000 ransom. But does she really? Creative AI scams like this are on the rise, stealing billions from terrified parents. NTD's Jack Bradley has more. My phone rang. It was my son. He was crying. He said, Dad, I was in an accident. I hit another car being driven by a pregnant woman. My nose is broken. They arrested me. Gary Shieldhorn was the intended victim of an AI phone scam. The scammers used generative artificial intelligence to clone his son's voice. They used the voice to make him think his son was in jail. The only way out? To have a mysterious public defender named Barry Goldstein help pay his bail. Mr. Goldstein, can you post the bond for my son? Yes. You need to wire me uh, $9,000. A few minutes later, FaceTime call from my son. He's pointing to his nose. He goes, my nose is fine. I'm fine. You're being scammed. Shieldhorn's story is one of many presented at a Thursday hearing of the Senate Committee on Aging. The FTC estimates that older adults may have lost as much as $50 billion to scams in 2022. She repeated it again. Mom, mom, mom. And it was and sound exactly like her. So I answered the phone and it was my 15 year old daughter crying and sobbing, saying, mom, 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 help me. These bad men have me, help me, help me. Help. I heard sirens and my daughter's voice. And she said in a crying voice, mom, I got in an accident. These scams are usually meticulously designed to look as real as possible. Common red flag, scams usually involve sending a non-traceable payment. This is typically done through cryptocurrency transactions, at crypto kiosks, and through gift cards. One way to foil these scams is doing uh, a password among your friends and family and making sure that you're not publicizing that password or putting it in an email because hackers will be able to get access to that. But if somebody were to call you, you can say password authenticate. Tech expert Tom Romanoff says it's unlikely that scammers would know that password. If they can't provide it, that's a sign of a scam. It's very difficult for law enforcement to stop these scams. In fact, they may not even try. In that moment of extreme horrific you know, terror probably shook Jennifer to her core. The police said there was nothing that they could do. No money was transferred. No crime, they said had been committed. Senator Mark Kelly believes this is a blind spot in the law. He's looking into potential legislation to target these types of scammers. Jack Bradley, NTD News. One of the largest retailers in the world, Walmart, is cautioning that consumers could be tightening their belts and spending this holiday shopping season. We spoke with NTD business host Don Ma for details. Don Ma, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks Tiffany. Great to be here. Tell us more about what major retailer Walmart is saying about the state of the consumer. 
So Walmart uh, said today in their earnings call that uh, U.S. consumers are, are cautious with their spending. Uh, and, and the reason for this, it seems, is because of inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, you know, Walmart's uh, real focus has been on groceries, and, and this has provided them a buffer against the slowdown in consumer discretionary spending. But, you know, with high interest rates kicking in and household savings also dwindling, uh, sales have been somewhat uneven for the retailer over the past two months. And this is what executives said today. And what, what this is doing is it's giving the company some pause uh, or hesitation, if you will, on the state or strength of the consumer. Uh, the company saw shoppers slow down per purchases in the second half of October. And shoppers are, are still very choiceful, it seems like, and using discretion and are waiting for sale opportunities like Black Friday, Hmm. And how does this holiday season compare to previous years? So it seems like not just Walmart, but retailers have in fact been forecasting a less robust holiday season uh, than in past years. Uh, Walmart uh, has used its size and scale to try to keep prices low, uh, despite inflation is trying to draw in not just low income shoppers, but also uh, some high income consumers as well, looking for cheaper options to perhaps uh, stretch their budgets. But you know, even so, according to the National Retail Federation, uh, spending this holiday season is expected to see slower growth uh, compared to last year. And potentially businesses as well, uh, too, are aware of this potentially uh, because normally businesses at this time of year start hiring extra workers, uh, you know, to stock shelves and help with orders and deliveries and such. But it seems like this year, uh, the job services firm Challenger Gray and Christmas says the number of seasonal positions publicly advertised this fall fell to the lowest level in a decade. So some not so optimistic outlook right here. Indeed. Well, Dama, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tiffany. Coming up, we speak with an attorney about why former President Trump is now facing a subpoena in the Hunter Biden gun case. He says there's a reason behind all the legal actions targeting the leading GOP presidential candidate. China is just paying lip service when it makes promises at APEC, according to a CEO. Find out what he says as some business leaders pay up big to meet with a Chinese regime leader. And results from the illegal California Biolab investigation are in. Hear what lawmakers have to say about the findings and Communist China's involvement. Stay tuned for the details when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The man charged with attacking Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, in their San Francisco home last October has been found guilty in federal court. 43-year-old David DePap faces up to 50 years in prison. The House Ethics Committee released a report claiming it has overwhelming evidence that New York Republican Congressman George Santos broke the law. Santos is facing 23 federal charges, including fraud and making false statements. The Israeli military prepares for the next phase of their ground operations in Gaza as they make more gains against Hamas in the northern part of the territory. The body of a female hostage was recovered near Al-Shifa Hospital. Former President Trump and his lawyers are no longer under gag order in the New York fraud case. For now, 
And in Georgia, a judge granted the Fulton County District Attorney's request to protect certain evidence. President Biden told Asian Pacific allies at the APEC summit that the U.S. is a more reliable trade partner than the Chinese Communist regime. He said the U.S. has real differences with Beijing when it comes to maintaining a fair and level economic playing field. As former President Trump faces a possible subpoena in the Hunter Biden gun case, how is the litany of legal battles impacting his presidential run? We spoke with the lead counsel for the National Legal and Policy Center, who says the court cases are all designed to hamper the Trump campaign. Paul Kaminar, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Former President Trump is now facing subpoenas from Hunter Biden's lawyers. That's over the gun case. How do you read this move? Well, it, it's a desperate attempt. Uh, you know, what happened was uh, the other day there's a subpoenas issued by the House uh, Oversight Committee against Hunter Biden uh, because of this whole thing with the uh, foreign money and, and uh, the bribery going on, et cetera. So I think he wants to do a payback somehow. Uh, so he's a subpoenaing Trump. He's subpoenaing Bill Barr, the former attorney general. And uh, his theory is that uh, they wanted to get after me. And therefore, this case is an example of what's called in the law uh, selective or vindictive prosecution. And uh, I think he's got a hard case to make there. Uh, it doesn't, you know, th th that those motions can be filed. In fact, uh, Trump filed those here in D.C. against Jack Smith, that he was being selectively prosecuted after he announced he was running for president. That one, of course, I think has a lot more merit. But I think this is a desperate attempt uh, by Hunter Biden. And it's for the gun charge. Uh, we still haven't seen the tax charges that the special counsel David Weiss is supposed to bring. I don't know what, what he's waiting about that, but uh, that's the major case. The, the gun charge cases basically icing on the cake, but I'd like to see the cake first. <laughs> and on that note, what kind of impact will this subpoena have on Trump's other legal woes, big, small? Uh, not at all. He'll, he'll file, uh, his attorneys will file a motion to quash these subpoenas, uh, as will the other ones, uh, Bill Barr, and uh, I forget there's one more. He'll file a motion to quash. Uh, his uh, attorneys uh, uh, for Hunter will file their reply papers, and the court will hear the case. Uh, th this is just a sideshow, another distraction. So this really won't affect uh, uh, the Trump or his campaign at all. Hmm. And in terms of Trump's other cases, the New York civil fraud trial has been making a lot of headlines lately, but also the Georgia elections ones. The AG now expects the trial will be underway through the election day next year. How feasible is that timeline? Well, I think it's better than the other timelines. I mean, you have the one here in D.C. where the judge wants to start that trial on March 4th, uh, the day before Super Tuesday. Uh, and, and they're still in the middle of uh, all kind of pretrial motions. So that case uh, is, is probably going to go first. You have the Mar-a-Lago case that probably will be later on in the year. You've got the hush money case in New York, uh, which may be delayed a little bit. So this one in Georgia... Uh, uh, it makes sense that it will be underway after the election. And as uh, Fannie Willis said, uh, uh, going into the following year, 2025, uh, way after the election. 
So all this is still designed to hamper Trump in terms of campaigning, whether the trial is actually starting or not, because you have all these various pretrial cases and pretrial motions going on, plus the one here in D.C. By the way, uh, this Monday, there'll be a hearing on the gag order that Judge Chutkin imposed on, on Trump and temporarily was lifted by the Court of Appeals. So that's an important case to watch, whether he's going to be gagged and, and not be able to uh, complain about Jack Smith and, and, and uh, other witnesses that are going after him, because uh, he has a First Amendment right to speak out. So we'll see how that argument goes on Monday. On that note, this is a presidential election that is coming up. What is the pol political fallout of these trials, given that Trump is the GOP frontrunner? Well, actually, it, it has an interesting uh, uh, reaction to it because actually he has increased uh, in the polls the more that uh, the government files these uh, indictments and so forth. So the, these uh, uh, charges are actually helping uh, his campaign. Uh, but, of course, that's what we see right now. It's not clear what will happen if, in fact, he's convicted on any of these uh, charges, on any of these four cases. And But even if he is, uh, he still has great appeal arguments. Some of these are uh, very uh, strong constitutional and First Amendment arguments he has to make. So even if he were convicted, uh, I would take that as a, a grain of salt and not necessarily that that would— uh, you know, prevail on appeal. Unprecedented times indeed. Well, Paul Kaminar, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. A leading expert in intelligence and cybersecurity tells us that businesses are refusing to understand what communist China truly is. We spoke with the CEO of Black Ops Partners about what China's APEC promises really mean. Casey Fleming, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. At the summit between Xi and Biden yesterday, topics discussed included climate, military, military communications, and fentanyl. Now, China has promised back in 2019 to deal with the fentanyl. How should we read this year's summit? The same exact thing that we read in 2019. They just uh, lip service uh, to make us feel good, and they've got their own agenda that they're going to stick to. Now, President Biden has called the meeting, quote, some of the most constructive and productive discussions we've had, as in with Xi Jinping. But then he ended a press conference by calling Xi Jinping a dictator once again. Where do you see U.S.-China ties going from here? They're going to look good from the street as far as window dressing. But behind the scenes, it's all out unrestricted war against the United States. So all this is uh, diplomatic it's all for show, it's all for the news cycle, but behind it, nothing's gonna change on the side of the Chinese Communist Party. On that note, Xi Jinping told Biden that, quote, planet Earth is big enough for two countries to succeed. Looking at previous Chinese Communist Party internal documents, though, is that true? No, absolutely not. There is only one China, and it's completely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. And their plan, they actually have a saying back in the day. They say only one tiger can live on a mountain. But when they say two can coexist and so on, that is absolutely not the case. That's just uh, a phase one or phase two of the plan. The final phase of the plan is to phase out the United States and the free world and completely control it through Chinese communism. 
Hmm. And now on that note, business CEOs paid $40,000 ahead to sit at the same table as Xi Jinping last night. What kind of message does that send? Uh, politics. It absolutely sends a message of politics and people refuse, a lot of people, a lot of businesses refuse to understand what Chinese communism truly is and what it means for the future of America. Uh, even the FBI director has come out recently over the last four years talking about the number one largest single threat to the United States security is Chinese Communist Party and Chinese communism. And following the meeting, President Biden noted a lot of areas where progress was made, including military-to-military communications, the climate, but also fentanyl. Now, if the Chinese Communist Party doesn't keep its promises, what must the U.S. do to hold the Chinese regime accountable? Uh, First of all, assume that the Chinese Communist Party will not uphold their promises because they never have in the past. So don't wait for that to happen continue along the lines to freeze them out. They are in a total war mode in China. They've locked out their internet to the rest of the world. They've uh, locked out apps to the rest of the world. So it's all command and control inside of China. So you have to understand they are creating their own world order uh, at the expense of the United States with the sole intent to put out the world order, to put away, put out, put down the world order that's there today. So uh, my best advice, no more foreign influence. That should be illegal in the United States. Any type of foreign influence from a designated adversary like China, who has named us as their enemy many, many years ago. And then secondly, um, lock in free world trade. Just open up free world trade with friendly free countries. Sign a hundred year pact that we're going to do free trade and open trade with all other free nations because that's exactly what China is doing against the United States and the free world. So the only way to mirror that, it's a polar opposite. We've got to maintain the other pole and, uh, and fight for what's ours and fight for what's right, which is the economy that we created and the economy that many, many nations enjoy today as far as freedom and uh, quality of life. So just to expand on that, is that working more with allies? How does that work? 100% allies and any other free nation that believes in democracy and voting in leaders uh, and where they're not completely controlled by a dictatorship or totalitarian regime. Well, Casey Fleming, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. A China-run biolab camouflaged in a small American town. The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party unveiling results from its probe into an illegal lab operation discovered in California. City officials in Wheatley found around 1,000 transgenic mice, dangerous chemicals, and pathogenic samples at the illegal California biolab last year. The lab owner, Jiabe Jesse Zhu, was hit with a $330 million Canadian court judgment for IP theft in 2016. The fugitive was a former corporate officer in the CCP's military civil fusion organization. Biolab workers said the mice were genetically engineered to catch and carry the COVID-19 virus. After nine months of city officials sounding the alarm, the FBI declined to investigate and the CDC refused to act. City officials turned to their local representative, Congressman Jim Costa, for help. Business people uh, attempting to bring uh money from offshore to invest in private labs that particularly could uh, compromise public safety 
is something that should never, ever be allowed. Chairman of the Select Committee on the CCP, Mike Gallagher, says there need to be some appropriate tripwires in place. When the local officials reached out to the CDC, they did not get a response, and in some cases they hung up the phone on them, is also unacceptable. A situation like this really raises some serious concerns about the existence of other potential biolabs in America and how vulnerable we are to a biologic attack. The public health agency concluded there was no evidence of select agents or toxins and had a court order state and local authorities to destroy all materials. Ranking member Roger Krishnamurthy said that more biosafety measures are needed to stop something like this from happening, and that currently anybody, including fugitives, fraudsters, and terrorists can buy dangerous pathogens online with little vetting. You need an identification, uh, a driver's license to get Sudafed in any lo local pharmacy, but you don't need even that to get Ebola online. Chairman Gallagher says he hopes future hearing will produce a bipartisan agenda for steps Congress can take to prevent anything like the Reedley Biolab from happening again. Coming up, how is the Army responding to the recent recruiting shortages? Jason Perry speaks to the commander of New York City's recruiting battalion about what they're doing to meet their goals. And in college football, finally some closure in the Jim Harbaugh case against the Big Ten. Dave Martin joins us in the studio when we come back. Welcome back. Tonight we take a closer look at recruiting in the United States military and more specifically the Army. NTD's Jason Perry went to Fort Hamilton in New York City to meet with the commander of New York City's recruiting battalion to find out more. We're not doing too bad. We, we saw a big decrease after COVID and I think there's a lot of attributing factors to to why we weren't doing as well as like, but that's that's really changed. I met with Lieutenant Colonel John Rhodes. He served in the United States Army for over 20 years and just recently got into recruiting. And under his command, the New York City Recruiting Battalion has met its goals for the last two months. Rhodes explained some of their methods. Some of the things that worked 30 years ago don't, don't work anymore. Uh, so while we continue to be in the high schools, um, and go to different uh, fairs and different things like that. We've also g gone online to online jobs because if, if most people nowadays, when they're looking for a job, they just log on their computer. And so we're, we're entering that space. And he said one of the things they want to do is make sure people understand all of the benefits. We can help guide people on the path to be all that they can be in one of our 178 career fields. So we have all these different ways. You can do full-time service, you know, two years, we have you know, ability just to serve for two years or up to five years. We have huge bonuses available for those that choose to serve longer. He also explained other programs that help soldiers transition out of the Army, including paid internships and guaranteed job interviews with partner corporations. I find the number one reason people don't finish their degrees is because they're too busy with, the, as, with their work requirements or they can no longer afford it. But if you're transitioning and you have the, the government helping to you to pay for those uh, skill sets, uh, pay for your education, then we've eliminated, we have a highly disciplined student that has all the skills they need to be successful in school and they have the money to pay for it. And that really sets them on the, whether the, it's the education path or a trades path or directly into the, a business hire. And I also spoke with Army Staff Sergeant Yao Zhou Su, who immigrated from China, later graduating high school in New York City. I had so many jobs before. I have been as the uh, restaurant chef, hotel front desk, restaurant uh, waiter, the 
and I feel like it's just a job. And I get up in the morning, go to work, come back, sleep, and do it all over again. I tell myself, you are wasting your life right now. So it, I, you have to change. So my, uh, one of my best friends reached out to me, hey, uh, you want to join the Army? I told him, sure, let's do it. He's now been in the United States Army for six years. He's been stationed in places such as Hawaii and Germany. When I joined, my, my whole family uh, said, no, you don't want to join the Army. There's you know, you, discriminations happens in armies, uh, all, all kind of like uh, bad, bad stuff about the Army. Even my friends, none of them they uh, want to join the army because they don't know much about the army. They don't know uh, what the army offers. They thought it's going to be we're going to war. It's just like how the movies are, but it's completely different. To learn more about joining the army, you can visit GoArmy.com or in the New York City area, you can follow New York City Recruiting Command on social media. Jason Perry, NTD News. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, plenty to talk about. Let's start with college football as Jim Harbaugh and Michigan have agreed to accept the Big Ten's three-game suspension and will not go to court tomorrow. Does this surprise you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I thought maybe he would appeal. They would plea bargain down to maybe a two-game suspension. Instead, he's out this week as well as next week, and that includes the big game against Ohio State. Now, the Big Ten did agree to drop their investigation as part of their deal. Maybe there's something to that. But earlier in the week, Harbaugh seemed pretty gung-ho about going to court. I will, th I will say that I think the whole thing was seen as a bit of embarrassment for the conference as well as the school. I'm also guessing neither side wanted to go to court. Just, you know, they don't want potentially embarrassing things coming out in that case. So maybe there's something to that as well. And elsewhere in college football, James Madison University is 10-0. and 0. If The NCAA has denied their waiver request to play in a bowl game this year. What exactly is the NCAA stance? Honestly, I wish I understood their thinking. You know, basically, this is James Madison's second year in FBS football after transferring from FCS. In those cases, the NCAA makes you wait two years to become bowl eligible. Now, I understood the reason for this is because they think you still probably have some FCF teams on your schedule, so it's gonna be an easy schedule. But that's not the case for James Madison. They're in the Sunbelt Conference. They've done a full schedule. If anybody else was doing what they were doing and was undefeated like this, they would be bowl eligible. Uh, I will, the NCAA did release a statement on this. It was pretty general, didn't really answer the specific question. I will say it is hard, it is rare to go 10-0 in football at any level. And to be denied a postseason, it's hard to see how this is fair for James Madison. Fascinating. Well, shifting gears to baseball now, we're more than a week into baseball's free agency and really nothing has happened here. <laughs> this seems much slower than the NBA's or NFL's. Why do you think that is? Yeah, baseballs has always been slower. You know, in the NBA, there's a cap on how much players can make and how long they can make it for. So the market is already set. It's really just what team are you going to sign with? The NFL, they've got a hard team salary cap, not a player cap, but the parameters are probably going to be pretty similar. Baseballs, though, their free agency, it's a total free market, no cap restrictions. Players know they can get the best deals there, but it takes a while for someone to first sign and, you know, set the market. I think, though, as soon as Shohei Otani, who just, by the way, won his second MVP award, as soon as he signs, you'll see a flood of uh, action to follow.
And any indications or rumors of where he might sign? You know, he has long been destined, it seemed like, for the Dodgers. That's been the long rumor. Uh, in fact, a few years ago when he came from Japan, everyone thought he would go there if the National League had the designated hitter rule at the time. It's tough to do your two-way thing without that. So he signed with LA's other team, the Angels. Unfortunately, the Angels have not been to the playoffs since. Now, he has been rumored with the Cubs, the Rangers, the Red Sox. You know, of course, every team, I think, would like to be in on him. Not every team could afford a half a billion dollar contract. I still think the Dodgers make the most sense, but nothing's happened yet. It's a lot of money we're talking while well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.